Morning. Beautiful day, just slightly cooler than it was yesterday, right? So it's nice, nice, nice summer day. Good to see everybody that's here. First uh, Chronicles 22nd chapter, if you want to take your Old Testament and turn over there, or if you got your phone, I guess you can just pull it up, right? But First Chronicles, the 22nd chapter, is where we're going to be taking a look at today. The title of the lesson is Helping Build God's Temple. Chapter 22 of First Chronicles uh, is talking about building the temple, building God's house, David's desire for doing that. But then God selects Solomon. He tells David, in essence, no, you're not going to be the one, as John read for us this morning. But what David does is pretty amazing. He throws himself wholeheartedly into assisting his son and providing various uh, materials and so forth so that Solomon might be successful in carrying out uh, that project. So, three points. The charge that David gives unto his son Solomon, and then his helping the next generation, and then seeing God's temple. So I'll bring up that first point, the charge. First Chronicles 22 is that record of David giving that charge and then making preparation for Solomon to build. He is hugely, hugely instrumental in helping to Solomon help Solomon carry that out. Now I want to say a couple things about this particular this building, this structure. It's going to be about 966 BC when Solomon begins to build. Fourth year of his reign. It's going to take him about seven years. This is quite an edifice that he is going to uh, erect unto the Lord. That particular building is going to stand for a little over 400 years. Eventually, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy it. And then, after a period of time with God's people being in captivity, they will return to the land. And then God will encourage them to once again build that temple. They're a little bit slow in doing it, but finally, about 516, it will be finished. Now here's pretty amazing. 516. There in Jerusalem, that temple will be rebuilt. And it will stand. Till 70 AD. And then the Romans will come under the leadership of Titus and they will destroy that temple. And it's never been rebuilt. But in 1 Chronicles 22, we get this little snapshot, this little piece of history, this time when this building is being erected for the first time and it's on David's heart. He wants to build this for God. And God says, no, you're not the one because you've been a man of blood. And we can talk about that another time. It's not that those wars were all wrong. It's just that David wasn't going to be the one. He said, but it's going to be your son. And you know, David could have kind of just stomped off, right? I wanted to build it. That was my idea. You won't let me build it. I'm going to take my toys and go home. But that's not what David does. If that's what you want, Lord, then I'm going to do everything I can within my power to help Solomon be successful in erecting that building that is going to be the house for you, Lord. And so, as we take a look at this, keep that in mind. David wanted to, 
God said no. Solomon's going to be the one? Okay. Then I'll do everything I can to help him. I'm going to read to you from 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 5 as we get started this morning. 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 5. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Did you hear what he just said? The house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, glorious throughout all countries. Some translations say throughout all nations. So what's David saying? If we're going to build a house and it's going to be for the Lord, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be exceedingly magnificent. As magnificent as it was, you've got to keep in mind there's something better that's coming. And so we'll talk about Ephesians 2 in a little bit. And we'll talk about 1 Corinthians 3 in a little bit. And we'll talk about the cord that ties that all together. Because as fabulous as the temple was, it was merely pointing to something that was far was going to far exceed it. So I want to back up for just a moment and think with you, historically. Exodus chapter 25 and Exodus chapter 26. The Israelites have been brought out of Egyptian bondage. They have come to Sinai. And God is giving them instructions to build the tabernacle. Sometimes it's referred to as God's mobile home. It was a tent, for lack of a better term. An elaborate tent. But God had given Moses instruction on how that tabernacle was to be built. And for over 400 years, that's where God dwelt among His people was in that tabernacle. And they were given instructions through the Levites and so forth how they would take that tabernacle, they would tear it down and they would move it and then they would rebuild it wherever they were camped. That's where God would dwell. And when they went into the land for several centuries, God dwelt in that tabernacle. About 1450 B.C., they're in the wilderness. It's not until 966 till Solomon starts to build the tabernacle. So you think about all those years that God dwelt in that tent, so to speak. And so oftentimes, when we start to talk about this building, We refer to it as the temple. Or, sometimes we'll refer to it as the first temple. Or, sometimes we'll refer to it as Solomon's temple. But John read for us this morning from 1 Chronicles, the 22nd chapter, 5 through 19. And David was the one who desired it. God said, no, Solomon's going to do it. 
David says, I'm going to do all I can to help prepare for it. And then down about verse 17, it gives all this material that he brings. There is silver and there is gold and there is iron and there is bronze. And this it's amazing. And David does all this. But you know what to me is so amazing about that? Not once in the scriptures is it ever referred to as David's temple. you know, if somebody else did for me what David did for Solomon and I was going to build a house, I'd think, I could take it from here. <laughs> You've pretty well done everything. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's never referred to as David's temple. I want to read to you from 1 Chronicles, the 22nd chapter, 2 through 4, and then verse 5. Listen. So David commanded to gather the aliens. Some translations say the foreigners. You know who that is? That's the Gentiles. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of of the gates and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. The house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent and famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Let me just ask How's that sound to you? Is that all kosher, so to speak? Wait a minute. This is a house for the Lord built in Jerusalem in the land of the Israelites God's chosen people and what does David do? We got some Gentiles I'm telling you they're some of the finest craftsmen I have ever seen in my life and you want lumber? you want the good stuff? We'll get cedar from Lebanon. How's that sound to you? We'll get Gentile workers. We'll get Gentile material. And this house that we're going to build for the Lord, it has got to be exceedingly magnificent and famous throughout all the nations. So you know where I think we ought to start? We ought to get the Gentiles to help us. So let me ask you once again. How's that sound to you? So let's back up. Let's read from Numbers, the 15th chapter. Numbers. This is back in the wilderness. This is back when they have the tabernacle. This is hundreds of years prior to the building of the temple. 
Numbers, the 15th chapter, beginning at verse 14. And if, a, and if a stranger dwells with you, who or whoever is among you throughout your generations, and we present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so he shall do. What did he just say? If there's some foreigner, if there's some stranger that happens to be dwelling with you and he wants to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, that's good. And he will do it just like you do it. Now let's pause right there for just a moment because I want to make this point. When they came out of Egyptian bondage and they camped at Mount Sinai and Moses, God through Moses delivered the covenant and he gave them instructions on how to build that tabernacle and how they were to offer sacrifices and who they were to offer those sacrifices through the priesthood. He said, this is the way you do it. And you know what happened to Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus the 10th chapter, when they decided to offer up strange fire? Fire came out from the Lord and destroyed them. I told you how I wanted it. This is the way it's going to be. And they got the point, right? If that's what God says, then that's what we ought to do. But then he says, if there's a foreigner or a stranger that comes and wants to offer sacrifice to me, that's okay. But he's going to do it just like you do it. But it's okay. Can we see that? Verse 15. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. An ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Now, how's that sound? Do the Gentiles want to worship God? If they come and they want to worship, yeah, they're welcome. But they'll worship just like you do. Can we see that? So now then, when David is going to help Solomon prepare to build the temple... Get those Gentiles. Can they help build the Lord's house? Yeah. So go get them. That's okay. You know what? This is to be a house that is supposed to be exceedingly magnificent among all the nations. They may see this and come to know something about God's people and about God and they may come and they may want to worship and that's okay. Can we see that? So does, doesn't that make a little more sense? Out of 1 Chronicles 22, when David goes and gets the Gentiles to help build the Lord's house, we're not there yet, but we will be. 
on Wednesday nights before too much longer. I'm going to turn over to 2 Chronicles, the 6th chapter. I'm going to read verse 32 and 33. This is at the dedication. This is Solomon. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name, and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray in this temple. You know what Solomon is then telling the Lord? Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do your people Israel. And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. What's Solomon saying? You know what? If a foreigner comes here, Lord, listen to him. They should call on you. So that all may know your name. Isn't that amazing? David's gathering the craftsmen and the materials and the Gentiles are included. Build that house, Solomon, my son, and they can help. Secondly, helping the next generation. So in 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 5, we see where David recognizes that it's going to be Solomon. He says it has to be magnificent. And then before he dies, it says he's going to do everything he can to make preparation for it. Down about verses 11 and 12, 1 Chronicles 22. Listen. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord you got, of your God. Solomon, it's your charge now. You're the next generation. God wanted you to build it. Pray for wisdom. And, and, and then do it. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? John chapter 15, about verse 7. Jesus talking to those on that night that Gerald referenced at the Lord's table. If my word, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then ask the Father what you will and it will be done for you. See that? Abide in me. Stay with me. Let my word abide in you. Understand what God wants you to do. And then whatever you ask, God will help you. That's wisdom. So David is encouraging Solomon towards wisdom. First Kings, the third chapter, what is it that Solomon asked for? 
He recognizes that he's young and that he's inexperienced, just like David is saying here in verse 5. And Solomon asked for wisdom. That's a good thing, right? There's two generations here. There's David, and there's the next generation. And what's David encouraging? Ask for wisdom, my son. Do as the Lord tells you to do. James chapter 1. What does James say about it? If any man lacks wisdom, ask God. Ask God. One generation telling the next generation, listen to the Lord, ask for wisdom. Is that good advice? That's good advice. Now, whenever we think about passing something from one generation to the next, oftentimes the older generation, as they... As they think about the younger generation taking over, what's the look that's normally on their face? (laughs) Will they? Isn't that kind of the way it is? You're going to take over the family business? (laughs) You're going to take over the family farm? (laughs) Oh boy. But what does David do? This is good. Let me help you. Is there any lesson in that for us? I think there is. One generation gets older. One generation is going to pass away. What should the current generation be doing for the next generation? Let me make, David says, abundant Preparation for what you are going to engage in. You know what that's saying? We ought to be doing every us that are older. We ought to be doing everything we can to help the next generation be prepared, to help them to be successful. I'm going to read to you from. First Chronicles, the 28th chapter. And uh, Marilyn, you ask a question on Wednesday. Here's your answer. <laughs> First Chronicles, chapter 28, 6 through 13. Now he said to me, David is saying, the Lord said to him, Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever. If he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. For as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. 
For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, the houses, its treasury, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, and all the chambers all around of the treasuries of the, God, of the house of God, and of the treasuries for the dedicated things, also for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the articles of the service in the house of the Lord. What did he say? Solomon, let me tell you what God told me, and then he gave me the plans to give to you. Can you see that? 19 through 21. All this, said David, the Lord made me, watch it, the Lord made me understand in writing by His hand upon me and all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage. Do it and do not fear nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, my God, will be with you he will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work of the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. You see that? You want to know how to build this house? You want to know how to set up the divisions of the priests and Levites? Here's the plans. I'm giving them to you, David. You give them to Solomon. And Solomon, I want you to look at these plans. This is the way you build. Isn't that reminiscent of what we talk about in Ephesians 3? Because Paul said it was made known to me by revelation. Paul said, I received it. And then he goes on to say, and when you read, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. See what I just said? He said exactly the same thing that God did for David. David, here it is. Here's the plans. And David said, he made it known to me and he made me write it down. <laughs> Do you think God knew that we can be forgetful? <laughs> so write this down David because I don't want you to forget and he wrote it down and then he gave it to Saul here it is I'm going to turn over the New Testament for just a minute 1 Corinthians chapter 3 we're in the latter part of this book but we studied this earlier on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 I'm going to begin at about verse 5. 
Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Does that sound anything like what's going on in the Old Testament? David, you were that man of war. You're the one that subdued all those enemies. That's good. But you shed a lot of blood, and you're not the man that I want to build my house. But what you did helped prepare the way for the next generation. And you see what Paul said? Somebody planted, somebody watered. God was overseeing the whole project. He gives the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Can we see it? We're fellow workers. But you know what? Surprise, surprise. You're also the building. Isn't that amazing? You're the builder. And you're the building. And God's overseeing. And each one has their part. Can you see that? God gives us visual aids. He does. So to illustrate, we have Acts chapter 2. And you know what happens on Acts chapter or in Acts chapter 2? It's the day of Pentecost, right? Peter preaches the gospel. And those who are there and they hear what he says and they believe what he says and they respond to what he says. They cry out and say, what should we do? And he says to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Verse 47, and the Lord added to the church. That's God's people. That's God's temple. That's God's building. Here's Peter doing his part according to God's instructions, guided by the Holy Spirit, and he's building the Lord's house. And when that happens, the Lord adds to the church. And that gospel, let me ask you something. Who was it preached to? It was first preached to the Jews, but then it was preached to the Gentiles. And so who's in that building? Jews and Gentiles. Let me turn to the book of Ephesians for just a second. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read at verse 20. Having, built, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Who's Paul talking to there? He's talking to the Gentiles. You're part of this. The gospel went to everybody. You're being built up. A holy temple unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 9, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ, Christ Jesus. To the intent, listen to this, to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That temple in First Chronicles 22 was just simply pointing to a greater temple that God was going to build. And that the whole world, like David said, this is to be exceedingly magnificent so that all the nations might see. And what's Paul saying? The manifold wisdom of God would be seen when people look at His church at His spiritual temple where God dwells today. They would go, that is amazing. Do you remember when the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon and she saw it all? This is beyond words. This is amazing. And what's Paul saying? Look at the church. Look at the spiritual house of God today. And people ought to look at that. And how he has made up of all tribes and all tongues. This holy temple that he now dwells in through his spirit. And they ought to say. That's amazing. That is amazing. Seeing God's temple. First Chronicles. Go back there again. Chapter 22. I'm going to read again. Verse 6. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build the house of the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies and all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in those days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Chapter 28, verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. 
For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. Consider now, the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. David was at peace with it. I wanted to do it. But God said no. He said Solomon will be the one. But here's the plans. Give them to Solomon. I'm going to try and do a little quick summary. First Chronicles 22. Kind of hit the highlights. Because we need to see what's taking place there in First Chronicles 22. That snapshot in history, 966 B.C., when David has passed away, Solomon has come to the throne, and in the fourth year, he begins to build. What does that mean to us in 2023? So let me give you this illustration to kind of set the tone for this. In the Smithsonian National Museum of American Art, this is Washington, D.C., there is a display titled, listen to this title, The Throne of the Third Heaven of the nation's Millennium General Assembly. Did you get that? (laughs) Quite a title, isn't it? Let me break it down just a little bit to the first part. The throne of the third heaven. The Apostle Paul speaks of the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, chapter about verse 2. Paul says there was a man that was called up into the third heaven. Now, let me just briefly explain. Where the birds fly, we call that the heavens. When you look up at nighttime and you see the moon and the stars, the planets, we call that heaven. And then where God dwells, we call that heaven. How many heavens is that? Three. One, where the birds fly. Two, where the stars and planets are. Three, where God is. This display, this art display, is talking about the third heaven. An artist's depiction of the throne room of God. Got that? Now here's the interesting part about all this. You know who this artist was? He was a janitor. You know any janitors that are famous artists? I don't. <laughs> he was a janitor. His name was James Hampton. He passed away in about 1964. After James had passed away, they discovered in his garage that over the past 20 years, he had been collecting all kinds of items. And he was making like this display, this collage, so to speak. And contained within that garage, there was bits and pieces of old furniture. 
There was aluminum foil and bottles and cigarette boxes and wine bottles and burnt out light bulbs and cardboard and plastic and desk blotters and just a lot of stuff like that. And then above it, he wrote a scripture. And it was just very simply, where there is no vision, the people perish. We know that, don't we? Proverbs 29. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So what James thought was, people need to see what the throne room of heaven is like. And so this was his artistic depiction of what he thought the throne room of heaven was like. As I read 1 Chronicles, something that was written close to 3,000 years ago, and I listen to what David says about this house, I don't have it come to mind, James Hampton's garage. Do you? But that's what James Hampton did. James Hampton may have been a lot more capable than what I initially gave him credit for. So we asked this question. What was the temple for? And so sometimes we say, well, that was a place where the Israelites could go and worship. Well, that's true, but that's not all. Do you know the theme of the temple is one of the greatest themes in all of Scripture? When you take a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 2 through the end of the book to chapter 29, and it goes clear into 2 Chronicles and it goes to chapter 6 before it's ever dedicated, that's 14 chapters. Do you know anything else that gets that much coverage? All at one time. And that's not all of it. Because we talked about it when we went through First and Second Kings, didn't we? And it's mentioned in the New Testament, isn't it? It's one of the greatest themes that runs throughout the Scriptures. If you understand the temple, it goes a long ways in helping you to understand the Bible. David said, the nations need to see this. Because it would say something about Israel. It would say something about their God. It would be saying something about the way they viewed their God. God is precious to us. God is valuable to us. Look at all that they assembled so that they might be able to erect this temple. And it would speak of His beauty and of His majesty, of His companionship, because He would dwell there among His people. It would talk about His Word and how it guided them. It would talk about bread-filled tables and incense-filled prayers and the gold, the silver, the artistic ability that went into it. It would speak of the beauty. It would speak of the place where God dwells. But it also spoke of the bloodshed and of the forgiveness of sin. But most important, it would speak that God 
dwelt right there among his people. He was with them and they were with him. And the nations needed to see that. They didn't realize it. But they were starving for that God. And today, people are starving for that God. So here's the next question. If you want everybody in the world to see it, then why did you build it in one place? (laughs) Wouldn't it be better if you take this show on the road, (laughs) so to speak? Well, you know what? That's what God did. Because that temple was just pointing to another. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians 3. You are God's building. Can you see that? Christians, God's people, on display for all the world to see. So that they can see what happens to a people when they come to know God. And we share this God through preaching and teaching and living His fame, His glory, housing His salvation, and sharing it with others. I could talk about the King. I'm going to skip that part for now because it's contained there in 1 Chronicles 22. And just talk about the material for a moment. David made abundant preparations. And you know there are commentators sometimes that look down about verse 16 and 17 where it talks about all the talents of silver and all the talents of gold. And they say, well, that just must be an exaggeration. And it talks about the iron, and it talks about the lumber, and all those kinds of things. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's what they did. But as magnificent as that was, it was just pointing to something else. Yes, it would reflect the glory of God, and the majesty, and the beauty. But it was pointing to something else. Because God has now built His temple from precious souls. And let me ask you, what price do you put on that? I know the price he put on it. The blood. The blood of his son. And it's beautiful. And David commanded all of the leaders to help Solomon. You know who that is? That's you. You lead by example. To build the Lord's house. And he says, devote your heart and seek the Lord. So one of the most important themes in the Bible is the temple. Now think about James Hampton. Think about all that stuff that he gathered. 
when Solomon began to build, what kind of stuff did he have? He had some of the best stuff they could come up with, right? But when Jesus began to build, what did he have? But in God's hands, you know what it becomes? It becomes precious. It becomes gold. Refined by fire and by trials. And then God takes those pieces and that's what He builds with. So whatever's going on in your life, whether it's challenges or whether it's suffering or whether it's blessings, you know what God has got in mind? Gold. Taking the material, turning it to gold, and building together. And that's what he's done in the past. That's what he's doing today. And so we think about the New Testament, and we think about that thief on the cross. We think about a Roman centurion. We think about Mary Magdalene. We think about Jews. And we think about Gentiles and God placing them together in his house, a dwelling place for him through the spirit. It's more magnificent than what stood in Jerusalem in 966 B.C. I think James Hampton was a lot closer than what I originally thought. That's the temple. That's helping build it. I want to extend the invitation this morning. You can be a part of that temple also. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's what the Lord has said. He's the master builder. Will you respond to Him this morning while together we stand and while we sing?